Well, good morning, everyone. We are so excited to be here with everyone at the National Code Enforcement Network this morning. We have a very special guest with us, Mr. Marcus Kellum, who is a renowned nationwide instructor worked with various departments throughout the nation as far as helping them put their code enforcement units together, bringing up their staff as far as the training that they need, and still very much an awesome and key player in the code enforcement world. So good morning and welcome, Marcus. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. And it feels good to be home. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So how are you today? How are how are things? What is new? What's going on? What is the new trends we're seeing in the code world? The new trends. Okay. Well, I think uh, I think one of the things that we're doing in the code world is uh, is is adjusting to change, right? Because this 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 whole thing is so fluid now, where we just have to be more nimble and and uh and just ready for anything now uh you know starting to try to adjust to the new norms all these buzzwords right but the reality is our service delivery delivery really doesn't change right we're the ones that's out there doing the job staying staying the uh the task and just grinding it out so so uh, the new thing is dealing with the new norm i think that's the uh the title of the uh, of the show <laughs> absolutely and you know what marcus um for those of you that that don't know i've had the pleasure of working alongside marcus for some time now and i'd like to say that we have mastered um how to pivot and how to pivot grace gracefully <laughs> um, being able to really embrace things that happen all of a sudden being able to embrace the changes that the world has thrown at us in our world has been pretty instrumental and eye-opening to all of us so it, it's awesome to be able to have this discussion with you today thank you thank you same here same here i think i think code enforcement and and code enforcement officers across the country i think we're super equipped to be able to deal with whatever's thrown at us because that's sort of our daily activities, right? That's what we do. Uh, so yeah, it is, it's, it's a, uh, it's a good skill set to have. And I think more and more, that's what we're, we're dealing with now. You know, we're just dealing with that pivot. Yeah. And Marcus, uh, one of the things uh, that is so interesting to me is like, you're on the East coast, we're on the West coast and yes. we're so in sync. Yeah. I mean, we're so in sync that, you know, in this during this whole pandemic that a group of us got together, you know, we formed the Standards and Codes Academy uh, together uh, based on a need for training nationwide to kind of standardize it a little bit. And because there's so many, so many different fats of code enforcement and we can't see each other like in person anymore. And so, you know, being able to bring this to the masses was such a great thing. And actually Rachel um, just said good morning and she's uh, kind of connected yeah. us all somehow, you know? And it was funny because you recommended it to Cece. Cece interviewed her with me and then I ended up having another show with her on a different channel, which is, Indeed. you know, which is so awesome. It's full circle and she's in, in the middle of uh, the United States. So it's, it's so crazy how code enforcement connects all of us in a certain way, whether you're on the East Coast or West Coast. And one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you on this show, uh, you know, because you train throughout the nation, you see how interconnected code enforcement is in, you know, leadership and management. You know, they go hand in hand 
throughout the nation. And, you know, it's no different in Georgia than it is in California. It's the same. You still have the same amount of people. Yeah, you have the same need for leadership and good management. Yeah, it, it's true. The the uh, that common thread that I think runs across the country with uh, all of us in, in uh, this service delivery, the uh, the code enforcement, you know, regulatory enforcement, is about is really about the customer service. It's really about ensuring that the the residents. Uh, receive uh, attention, you know, and, and they're heard. And I think that's what we all have in common, right? Whether or not you're in Alaska or you're in Florida or you're in, you know, New York or California, it's, it's, uh, you saw that, you saw that crucifix, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, we, we all got to stay prayed up in the, in the code enforcement <laughs> arena, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's really about the, um, that level of service that we provide and, and they're notwithstanding those little those little nuances that we may do this a little bit different. It really is a, a, a universal kind of a, a, a holistic approach uh, to to serving the public, and that's what we do as code folks. And then having good management and having good leadership, you know, understanding your purpose, and then having that leadership to to support that. It, it just it, it's the uh, it's was necessary in order to have a an, an effective team you know so indeed and, and for those of you that never taken a marcus kellum class you will walk away just in <laughs> awe of marcus i remember the first uh, i've seen marcus around for a number of years but it wasn't until i took his class i was like wow this guy's a real deal yeah i was pretty <laughs> impressed you know and and you know, after afterwards, we had a long, nice conversation at, yeah, at, at a restaurant. You know, yeah. we just had a long conversation, and, and it's funny because it—I didn't even know the guy, but I felt like I'd known him for years. And it was—it was just an amazing, you know, it was just a camaraderie that we as code enforcement of, uh, professionals have throughout the nation, whether it's at ACE or you know, or any of these seminars that are done across the country. We just have this camaraderie, and the more we we network the more we people we meet and it's just an exciting time to be in code enforcement i think right now if anything it's been the most um, out there than it's ever been and that's partly because of folks like marcus and cecilia and rachel and greg smith and kelvin bean and myself i mean we're just out there constantly promoting code enforcement as it should be promoted yeah it's it's a discipline that 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 has gone unrecognized for a long time and absolutely, I think I think Standards and Codes Academy was was uh, was necessary to kind of merge all of that together and and develop a, a platform to really really elevate code enforcement. I think before, you know, we sort of got lumped in with the building and with the planning, and just uh, you know never really felt the love that the police department or the fire department felt. But I think now the discipline of code enforcement is definitely elevated, and and I and I believe that. That we all had a lot to do with that, and and um, and hopefully those those of us that are listening to the to this or watching this uh, understand that what they're doing is so important. Every municipality, every community, every county needs code enforcement, an effective code enforcement program, and it's up to us to to do that and and to serve and to to really really just uh, ensure that that quality of life is there for folks. 
Yeah, and I think I think there's definitely something to be said about the resiliency that we've all demonstrated throughout the last year, um, and the bond, the networking, the family that has come together um, nationwide to mutually support each other and learn and grow from and you know grow each other as we're maneuvering through this new way of life. Um, I think there's there's something to be said about the Standards and Codes Academy and that we share equal passion for what it is that we're doing to, to be able to be most effective in the cities and counties that we serve, um, to be most effective with the communities that we that we serve, right, with our internal and external customers. Um, and on that note, Marcus, let's dive in into some of the most key components that you feel have been instrumental in the last year as far as being able to, you know, accustom ourselves to this new way of life. Sure. Sure, I think uh, I think, uh, and you touched on the number one, the the, the number one uh, variable in this. I think is that building that sisterhood and that that brotherhood, that network, you know, uh, bringing folks together on a national platform. Uh, Standards and Codes Academy offered town halls, uh, and, and this is just not necessarily about the Standards and Codes Academy, because let's just be clear, there are other organizations across the country that represent code enforcement, right? And, and if we're all really moving the code enforcement discipline forward, there's space for everybody to exist, right? So, so whether or not it was Standards and Codes Academy or, or everybody else, it's really about the bond of, of sisterhood and brotherhood and, and having that, 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 that mentality that we are all really, really just trying to work together to do it. So what did we have to do? We had to share, uh, we had to share our war stories with each other. We had to ask people across the country, hey, what are you guys doing about picking up, uh, you know, the social distancing? How are you guys doing it? What equipment are you using? So all of a sudden we had this, this need to have a national network and to talk to each other, right? So, so it, it's, it's, it's definitely that. Secondly, I think, uh, is, is retooling the way that we, we do our job, right? We had to reimagine how we do code enforcement. At one point, you know, doing a virtual inspection was 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 something to laugh at, right? Folks talked about, hey, we should do virtual inspections, and, and other folks were like, please, that's too far off in the future. And suddenly, the future became the 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 present, and and we had to retool, and we had to learn a way to do things differently, right? While still providing the service, still providing the the customer service, uh, the idea of of implementing uh, new strategies and, and integrating technology into what we're doing. This is inevitable, folks. For those of you folks who, who didn't think that, that, for instance, what we're doing right now, right, having this podcast, being able to communicate with people across the country and internationally, this is an incredible tool. And if we learn to bridge that gap with, with delivering code enforcement and, and uh, introducing technology and that type of uh, uh, or that type of initiative uh, being progressive in this code enforcement field we can really really gain the recognition that I think that we deserve and, and oh sorry sorry about no, that. no no that's that's really that's, that's you it. know one of the things that brought out this this whole pandemic that brought out was a lot of innovation and and, and it's amazing how different our code enforcement is from five years ago just given in this one year time span i mean we're doing podcasts webcasts 
you know, town halls. I mean, it is crazy. And, you know, the more ideas people have, they're not really far-fetched anymore because not, they're now reachable and people can do them as long as they have the will and the, the courage to do them. Yeah. And, you know, I remember the first podcast that, you know, we had, we were like, it, it was like, we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't know what we're doing. We're learning as we're going, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we ask the questions, we bring guests, we don't prompt you. We, we, we just kind of naturally flow uh, on what we know and what we, we can contribute to our brothers and sisters in code enforcement. Now, when it comes to, uh, you know, leadership and management, uh, you know, you've been a leader for, for years, you know, and, and a lot of people really never, you know, that never had the opportunity to know about you. I mean, can you give us a little bit of how you ended up in code enforcement? You know, uh, you know, like I, like I asked the guy last week, if he wanted to grow up to be a receiver, did you want to grow up and be in the, you know, the, uh, the owner of metric one uh tra code enforcement training and consulting <laughs> so absolutely from the time i was four years old i've dreamed about no that's not not true at all. <laughs> uh the uh you know what led me to code enforcement was was just uh that that desire to serve the public right um you know i'm a new york city native born and raised in brooklyn new york i always uh always have to put that stamp on it right and um and uh, early career, back in the late 80s, I'm dating myself. Some of you folks weren't even around, right? But in the late 80s, I, I joined the team of the, the New York City Department of Environmental Protection. And, and I worked with the, uh, the Water Resource Department. And I saw how important it was to actually ensure that there was a, a certain quality and a certain protection, right? Uh, and, and I worked in the inspection division, which were the regulator, the regulator kind of guys. And, and uh, I thought it was incredible that it was a new world for me, you know, understanding that there was an environmental control board and we had all these other agencies in New York City that 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 monitored the quality of life. And I'm like, what is this? It's Bestos and Air and Resources, Air Noise and all of these other guys. And uh, it really, really got me interested in, in wanting to pursue that whole sort of arena. Um, I did a stint for a little while in, in uh, public safety, working on Rikers Island in New York. And uh, and that was also in the regulatory capacity because I wasn't a uh, wasn't a, code, uh, a, uh, a uh, correction officer. I was actually uh, I worked for Internal Affairs, so I was monitoring and making sure things were being regulated properly. Right. So the role as regulator had always been in me. And besides, I thought it was really really cool to um, to have a badge and to. Uh, to you know, stand around in a suit and watch people do work and tell them what to do without actually doing the job, right? I always wanted to do that, but but the idea, you know, moving to Georgia and understanding that there was a really big field, code enforcement was huge here in Georgia, and the idea of having folks that work for each municipality and regulating it um, was important to me. So I came up through the ranks. I was the lone code enforcement officer in the city, 20, 28,000 folks, uh, just a lone officer. And uh, I, I rose in ranks through, through uh, you know, hard work and, and just focus. I became the chief of the department and then I became the division manager and then became the director. And I had 150 folks working with me uh, during my last stint. And then I decided that it was time to actually take the show on the road for myself. And that's when I, uh, that's when Metric One was born. And I knew that the years of experience, the education and all of that stuff it was it was time for me to now share this with everybody 
so I can bring that that person who's that lone code enforcement officer in their city and, and equip them with the tools they need in order to become a director or leader in the industry. And, you know, Marcus, um, you know, recently I've made the transition to the private sector. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to the dark side, you know, some people say that. <laughs> but, you know, in reality, um, you know, it's it's when when people say, hey, you got to think outside the box. A lot of times they're confined within that same box in their jurisdiction. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have that box anymore. And it's such a great feeling because I get to see what possibilities are out there and what we can create. And one of the things that came about uh, about that was this podcast, you know, being able to say, hey, I have time to promote the code enforcement profession and that's what I'm doing and I love doing it. I bring my friends along. I bring, you know, Cecilia, yourself, uh, Rachel, and then, you know, we have uh, Lanell Stewart on the line right now, you know, so, you know, hi, Lanell. She's our, uh, Fl our Florida Association of Code Enforcement President. I, she'll be a guest pretty soon to talk about, um, uh, you know, uh, the uh, importance of uh, being involved with your local association. So that that's always, that's another good thing about leadership. And that's why we have these conversations. Now, when it comes to you and leadership, what do you think, you know, a person that aspires to be a manager or leader needs to, you know, kind of look at themselves, if maybe not have the courage right now? What, what, what's one thing that you, that you, you look at people and say, hey, that person has that spark? Yeah. So that's a great question. You know, I think that I think that we've that uh, as the Standards and Codes Academy, I think that we've expressed a, uh, a unique ability to identify leaders in, in the field. Right. Uh, and and we've done it and we will continue to do that and give folks platforms to 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 grow. But I think I think for those of you aspiring managers, for those of you who are who are contemplating getting into leadership and the supervision and such, I think the one thing that you have to have, uh, well, it's, it's a it's a it's a an extreme toolkit, right? But one of the things you have to have is a, is a level of perseverance because you're going to be challenged every step of the way. You understand the the idea behind. Um, uh, moving forward and growing in this profession has everything to do with uh, your desire to to want to be the person in charge, right? That comes with great responsibility. So uh, there's going to be distractors. People are going to detract from you and try to distract you, right? And and your role is to continue to push forward and and to understand that those challenges are temporary. Right. If you have a focus, if you know what you're working for, if you know where you want to go, it's important that you just kind of persevere and keep it going. The idea is to identify what it is that you want. Right. And and identify somebody who has something similar to what you want and find out what they did in order to get there. Right. Your path may not necessarily be theirs, but it gives you a road. It gives you a roadmap uh, on 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 where you want to go and how you want to do it. Right. So so perseverance, I think, is the, is the is the number one uh, factor for a leader and then focus, you know, just uh, remaining focused on keeping your eyes on the prize, if you will, and moving forward. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, and I think that with with that, um, it's it's definitely um, something that I think was tested in the last um, year and a half, almost two, Marcus, with all the changes. Um, 
like we spoke about earlier, you know, not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but being um, innovative, right? Innovating with the tools that we already have, learning um, some new tricks, planning ahead for the future. I think there's something to be said about um, the state of how many cities and counties found themselves when COVID hit, right? We were all just kind of scrambling to try to figure out what was next. And I think that the perseverance really was shown through the leadership in those different agencies where, you know, we took the bull by the horns and said, okay, let's do this. You know, we, we didn't plan for it. We're going to pivot. We're going to figure it out. We're going to embrace the, the change um, and see where it takes us. And so, Along with that um, is very much the um, the the idea, and not necessarily the idea, but but uh, the existence of your subordinates watching you, right? Watching you in action, watching how you're leading, seeing the strengths that you have as a leader, as far as how you're going to take about. A certain decision that's now going to impact them. For example, many departments are enforcing COVID, right? And issuing citations. That's something new to code enforcement. So being able to really say, hey, you know what? I know this isn't ideal necessarily, and I know this is not something that we were planning for. However, we are needed in this new role, and this is how we're going to execute this. This is how we're going to take this about. This, this is what's going to happen now, and it's going to be okay. Um, but being able to reassure your employees, your staff, your colleagues, that with change, you know, there are some positive things that will come out of that. And although it may not feel that way right away, eventually it does, you know? So I think that that the persever perseverance that really shows when you're put into that very, you know, tight, hot position of making some pretty drastic changes to the department when you're hit with a pandemic. Yeah, and, and you know, Cece, the, the interesting part about that is some folks persevered. Some departments uh, performed outstanding and some folks crashed and burned, right? This was this was definitely an exercise to see who was ready and who wasn't, right? And and I think for those of us who are, who are contemplating getting in or those of us who are currently in leadership positions, it's really about looking up and, and you could take one of two things, right? You can either learn exactly what to do in a time of crisis or learn exactly what not to do in a time of crisis by just watching and seeing who actually did their damn thing and who didn't, right? A lot of municipalities really showed out and, and, and really, really did a good job because there was some level of preparedness for, for the, they, they, there was an expectation and, and they were able to meet that expectation. And some folks have failed miserably, right? So, so uh, there's a lesson in everything, you know, watch, watch and learn, learn what to do and what not to do because the, the lessons are equally as important. You know, one, one thing that we had our guest last week, um, which was a legislator and we talked about, you know, in crises, sometimes you kind of see what your code enforcement division is made of, like, like you're, like you're stating. And, you know, and if some of us came out as essential employees and some folks were just like, Hey, go home. And then some people were like, stay home, you know, we're doing okay without you. And it became, you know, one of those situations where you really started to see that maybe code enforcement was a luxury and because they weren't treated as essential employees. And, for us, you know, we're all essential, 
but if you're not using us essentially, then you're, you're going to have issues. Uh, yeah, that is that is so true. And I am outside, so if you hear that background noise, there's a lot of stuff going on back there. So a rattlesnake. Uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. So so yeah, the the uh, being essential, right? That that was always one of the one of the um, one of those uh, those concepts that kind of eluded code enforcement, like. What do we really do? Who who are we really? Right? Those are the kind of things. And and I think you said it. I think you were your your assessment was correct. There were some folks who came out on the other side of this, and really proved to the community that they were truly, truly, truly needed as a service delivery in their particular community. Right? And the ones that didn't, uh, either never really had the leadership, never really had the vision and never really had their purpose given to them, right? They, uh, and when I say given to them, meaning the, the role that you play in your municipality as a, as a regulator, uh, you should understand what it is that you're, that you're responsible for. And if we could live without you, then why, do we, why are we paying for you, right? If your department, and I know a couple of departments, as you said, Pete, um, folks have been home for a year and a half like not doing anything, right, but getting paid. So if that's the case, then you really have to wonder why, what, what were we doing in the, in the first place? You know, you mentioned, um, you mentioned the perspective of um, working from, uh, uh, from the, the private sector versus the public sector. And I think that's where some of the, some of the stuff gets lost in translation, right? The public sector's uh, perspective is we're a service and you need us. With the private sector's perspective is is literally this is a service that we can be efficient at right two different philosophies and and uh the, the private sector thrives in that way because uh, there's a public sector mentality folks folks in leadership positions and some elected folks they don't understand that that there's always a way to do things better and if service of the residents is actually what they're after there's ways to do it more efficiently and more effectively, and that's what the private sector has been successful in doing, in in showing that that there's a better way to do it. Sometimes with the same people, they take the same staff that's been in a in a municipality forever, retool them, and all of a sudden they're they're operating at at 35% more efficiency than they had the entire time they've been there for their entire career. So, so it is about leadership. It is about understanding purpose and and service delivery. And, and one of the things, Marcus, that I, I've noticed, um, I, I've done stints like like you have in several municipalities. And when I arrive, I'm always, you know, it's, it's funny because my leadership style is a little bit different than everybody's, you know. Um, I, yeah, the first year, people hate me. They hate me because I'm I'm looking and, and then I, I'm asking a lot of questions. Why are you doing it like this? Why are you doing this? Well, how come that? And, and it's funny. And when people say we don't do that, I'm like, why don't we do that? Well, we just don't. I'm like, well, it's in the municipal code. Well, 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 we don't enforce that. Well, why is it in there? Well, we just don't enforce it. And, you know, I ask these questions and annoys people be, because I want people to critically think about what they're doing. And then, you know, after that year, I start implementing change and people hate change. You know, I'm always the most hated guy for the first year until sec second year, third year. People start kind of like getting used to like my style. And, and, and you know, that's my type of leadership. And now, you know, it's, uh, some of us like, you know, um, 
you know, some of us have parents that, you know, they wave the, you know, finger and, you know, you get things done. Some people give you timeouts. Some people ground you and some people get a weapon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it yeah. just happens like that. And, and, and it's, and it's funny because I look at different, different management styles, especially knowing so many different uh, supervisors and we're all different, you know, for a first time supervisor, first time manager, what's one thing that, you know, that you see coming into a jurisdiction and you're assisting that frustrates a new manager? Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's important Pete, to, to differentiate those levels of responsibility, right? Your supervisor should not have managerial duties. The manager, if you have the luxury of having enough, uh, a budget that can, that can actually uh, afford to have someone related, someone, uh, someone responsible for supervisory duties, and then someone responsible for managerial duties, right? Different, very, very different. Um, I see frustration with always, 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 always 100% budget, right? Anywhere you go, you, the first thing you talk to a code enforcement department about, um, for the most part, uh, is budget. Now, there are some departments and there are some uh, code enforcement municipalities, some municipalities that, that support their code enforcement department and give them the budget that they need in order to get the job done, right? But one of the things that frustrate, that, that I hear, is the frustration is based on budget. And that's because most managers, that people that are promoted to these positions, they don't have an understanding of, of management and budgeting, right? So they get promoted to these positions without being trained properly. So, so the, the, the frustration is, well, I'm trying to do this for the department, I'm trying to do that for the department, but somebody else handles something. Well, it's your responsibility to find out how it's done, how it's done. And then don't wait for your, don't wait, don't wait for your municipality to send you to, to teach you how to do a budget, a municipal budget. How about you go find a class and, and learn how to do it, right? So you're bringing that skill set in. You're not waiting to learn there. You're, you're bringing it with you, right? So understanding the budgeting process, because with, an act, with, a, with a proper budget, you can get some really good things done, right? The other thing is, is just performance status quo. People have been doing code enforcement the same way for years, right? And you walk into a, a location and like you said, they're doing things, they have five or six steps to their processes when it really is only a three-step process. So understanding efficiency, understanding how to do things better is, is, uh, is the second frustration. They don't know how to do it any different. So when you come in with the change agent, you know, with that, 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 that desire to do things better, they're looking at you crazy because they're not accustomed to having someone bring that energy. And that's what I've literally been able to do in all the municipalities I've worked in, both on the consulting side and as, as, the, as the, uh, the public sector employee running the department, is change the service delivery and, and, make it, and just make it more efficient. That's really what we need to do. We need to look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense and pull it apart and put it back together in a way that makes sense. And, and one of the things when you talk about budgeting, sometimes getting to that part, it's also an exercise in itself. And you do a great class on key performance indicators, you know, because if you're not performing, you can't really expect a better budget. You know, you have to kind of give them a reason why to increase your budget. Uh, one of the one of the you know, I, I tend to 
when, when I present to my council, I always, I always kind of, I don't say, I make it more palatable for them to understand. I go, hey, I'm a high-performing truck. My division is a high-performing truck. And you keep loading it on and loading it on and loading it. Guess what? You load it to an extent, it's not going to be high-performing anymore. So you're either going to have to give me a second truck or lessen my load or give me a, another alternative means to, to do that. And I need budget for that. So here's you go. This is what you want. What do you want me to prioritize? You know, if you want me to prioritize everything, well, I need the budget for it. Right. And and a lot of what I find is a lot of managers, supervisors don't know how to do this. They don't know how to ask because they don't know what to present. So when you have, you know, when people say, oh, I have 300 cases and, you know, I, I can't do it by myself. I'm like, well, why are you taking so long? Do you need another person? What's, you know, it, how can... How can I improve the efficiency to show like, hey, we improve efficiency, but we're still overwhelmed. So now it's a resource issue versus an efficiency issue. Right. And these are kind of things that you have to constantly, constantly present over and over those key performing indicators. Because if I have one person and I'm expected to answer a thousand calls, that's not reasonable. And your, your level of service is going to go down. Yeah, you know, even the term key performance indicator or a performance metric some folks in in public service have no idea what that is right because they've never they've never been held to any kind of standard so so you, you made a good point right you know the 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 reporting that i have 300 outstanding cases all right so for that basically what what that translates to be for somebody who, who can't listen with code enforcement ears right is that oh there's 300 things that they have to do but not knowing that those 300 cases each case can have 25, 35 violations associated with it. And, and people are, and the dynamics associated with each case, right? So that's why it's important to get, to, to establish key performance indicators or performance metrics. Because what you do is you, you then articulate what, uh, what categories these things fall into, right? And you're talking about a qualitative um, change versus a quantitative change. So is it cool to have a thousand outstanding cases or is it cool to have three outstanding cases, right? That those three cases can, can potentially, potentially um, allow one person to work three cases for a year if the cases are such that they're, they're, they're so much that they have such an impact on the community, right? Well, do I want three really, really good cases that, that changes the quality of life for people or do I want a thousand little cases, you know, the low hanging fruit? What is it that I'm looking for? What is the, what is the expectation of the municipality? And what is the expectation of your team? Who's doing what? Those kinds of things people don't even think about in code enforcement. All they're out there doing is picking up signs on the side of the road and throwing some spare tires, some, you know, illegally dumped tires on the back of the truck and keeping it moving and writing a high, high weeds and grass uh, notice of violation. That's not what it is. We have to think about code enforcement as a mission-driven service. And once you start thinking about it like that, it changes. It changes how people perceive you and it changes what you can accomplish. Right, exactly. And you know, I, we did in as, um, a little exercise at a previous jurisdiction that I worked in and um, really broke down through a process map you know, how everything plays out, you know, from start to finish. And the whole purpose of that was because I wanted to get the minds going as far as how much time 
is going into areas that are unnecessary, that are making our work much harder and taking more of our time up when it could be a quick, you know, step one, step two, step three, done, right? And it was eye-opening to really see, oh my gosh, you know, we have like 10 steps for something that really doesn't require 10 steps. And where can we go ahead and allocate that time to, you know, the larger cases that are high profile, that are substandard versus the small little cases like you state, Marcus, the signs and the trash debris and all that, all that small little nuance case, right? So it, it, it really is so important for purposes of most effectiveness, right? With departments to really be able to dig in and dig deep. Um, as to what exactly is going on, how they're set up, how they function, because functionality plays a huge role with the KPIs, as you mentioned. So, um, and budget, right? It all links up. So it's it's super, super important to be able to really take a step back and look at it. If, if you haven't done so, try it, see where you're at, see where you stand. You'd be surprised at how much time is going into areas that don't really require it. And that just reminded me of the scene on Office Space where, hey, I get the specs to the engineers <laughs> because only I can talk to the engineers. That's well, right. do you personally deliver them to? No, my secretary does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was one of those, uh, you know, unnecessary steps. It's 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 pretty comical, but yeah. In, in all generalities, you know, we do have you know leadership management. I mean, we can go on and on for weeks, you know, talking about this topic. <laughs> I know we only have an hour. You know, plus, you know, mixing in what, you know, the life story of uh, Marcus Kellum. But, you know, um, but end of the day, uh, you know, we, the Tuesday, this Code Enforcement Network uh, platform, uh, this particular one is to encourage, uh, you know, folks with new ideas and, you know, maybe they need that help, you know, that extra push for, um, for, for, to, to be better. You know, and like you said, perseverance, you know, there's, there's that grit, you know, that in, in that one person that they just need to continually. And this is uh, Cecilia's word, just they need that grit. You know, they need that. I, I can do it. I can do it. And, you know, a lot. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I go around and talk to different folks throughout the nation. And a lot of times some code enforcement officers feel like they're putting their all into it and, you know, they're not heard. So what is something that you would say to that aspiring uh, person that, you know, they, they just feel that they need, you know, they need to come out of their shell or, you know, or, or need that extra push to, you know, move them to that next level of either supervision or management? Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the very first step, I don't want to say the very first step, uh, the, the uh, when, if you are that person that Pete described, right, that, that person who, who is looking for the next step, looking for something, and just and you have that energy? I think the the uh, a really good recommendation that I, I would make is to get involved, right? Get involved in the community, right? Develop a reputation in the community, and then and then try to transfer that reputation into some type of uh, you know city or county leadership program that may be offered. Right, because these are th these are the opportunities for you to learn the skill sets that you're going to need in order to move on. Right, you have to be involved with your with your local or your state professional organization. You got to get involved. You just just don't just don't uh, attend the classes and go to the conferences. You have to get involved because if you're really going to be um, trying to make a change, right, you need to be a part of a committee or you need to run for office 
and use that energy that you have to transform the, uh, the, the way that service is delivered and the way that your professional organization is handling all the officers in your state, right? So all of a sudden, you have a, a not, you're not just in your box anymore, right? You're not in your little city. You've reached out, you've done some community work, you've done some, some leadership work, maybe on the county level, and now you're working with your state organization. So all of a sudden, you're, 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 you are growing. And all along with that perseverance that we talked about, you should be looking at the next step, right? Because it's about the future. It's about what you do now is an investment in the future. You know, when you, you know, it, it, this is a, this is, you know, and holding an apple in your hand, right? If you hold an apple in your hand, that apple represents the, represents the, a future because when this when it was planted right uh, it wasn't an apple the, it was planted for the with the with the idea that it will eventually become an apple so when you do what you do right when you are working on these organ working through the organizations and, and trying to grow and trying to learn and, and volunteering and when you do this stuff it's with it's the it's the the, the seeds that you're planting because your future you needs to know that you're prepared to be where you are. You have to do these things, right? So you work through you work through your professional organizations and then you try to move on to a national organization and you meet and talk to people and you grow and you learn from, from everybody and you share. You share the whole idea is when, when I recognized that there was a lot that I needed to share with people, uh, I, the first thing I did was try to get on a platform where I can talk where I can distribute, where I can put together, uh, you know, step-by-step -step booklets for people to, to, to learn and to train them, right? We, the, this, the idea of SACA is, is, it was a, a consortium of folks that wanted to share, right? So sharing the knowledge is important. In fact, in fact, talking about sharing knowledge, um, the whole idea of attending these types of organizations, these professional organizations, uh, these conferences, local conferences, uh, national conferences are important. Next year in May, we're actually, the, the Standards and Codes Academy is hosting a, a, uh, a conference, a three-day conference in Austin, Texas. In fact, Pete, would you happen to have access? Can you, um, can you we have a, a trailer for it that I think is really, really cool because what we're doing, folks, what we're trying to do is share the knowledge. And that's the whole key. That's what I've always wanted to do. And I think that's the mission uh, of the Standards and Codes Academy, right? I don't know if you have it, uh, Pete. Yeah, I, 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 I loaded it up. Hold on. Yeah, on. Let's, let's, let's show it to the folks so they can see it. One second.
So in your quest, if you're that person, right? If you're that person that's looking for opportunities to grow and to learn, attending conferences like the, like the uh, the one you just saw is is exactly the route that you need to go and network and talk to people and share. That's the key. That's that's the the the, the key is opening yourself and giving of yourself to sharing and and uh, and learning. So with that saying that um, you're going to be at the ACE conference, you're going to be teaching at the ACE conference, correct? Yes, that is so, correct. So I believe she's teaching at the ACE conference as well. Um, and I know I'm going to be attending Pittsburgh in about a week or maybe two weeks, Cecilia, the two weeks, uh, one week, <laughs> next, next week, next week. Yeah. So we'll be in Pittsburgh. So if you happen to see myself, Cecilia, reach out. If you see Marcus, reach out. He's not a scary guy. He looks scary. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, no, Marcus is one of the most approachable, uh, guys that you will meet out there, you know, and, and it's funny because I always share stories on how I, I, I meet these folks and, you know, I ended up meeting Marcus just on a, on a class, but I've seen him around the internet, you know, I'm like, Hey, let me take a look at this guy. And, you know, he was doing this thing way before I was doing my thing. And, you know, so Mark has been around for years. So, you know, I'm kind of like the new kid on the block, but, you know, I, I, I you know, um, I think there was a story on the, uh, on, on his uh, jurisdiction and he's like, you know, I, I made a comment and he was like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that but you know at the end of the day you know i share tons of stories online because they're important whether they're good bad or indifferent uh, it's important to have these stories online you know so and you know sometimes they're good stories sometimes they're bad stories there's some sometimes like marcus says you know sometimes you learn on what to do and what not to do and that is an important learning tool that we have as code enforcement officers and having these platforms like LinkedIn or Facebook or YouTube, it, it's important to continue to contribute to that education because some of us don't get the opportunity to go because we don't have budget, you know, but, you know, so what do we do? We find things on the internet. And one of the, one of the things that I look at when I interview folks is how much homework they actually do on the, on the internet. And because they don't have formal training, so they go on the internet. And of course, they always see the crazy stuff on the uh, on code enforcement. Right. But there are good training videos out there. You know, I've seen a couple. I've run across a couple. I've created a couple. You know, so uh, I, I think there's always learning material out there. And for those that want it, who, you know, there's always something inside of us that say we can do something different. The reason Marcus teaches nationwide is because there was something in him that. He can do more something in Cecilia that says, Hey, I can do more. And she started a women's uh, uh, leadership uh, program, the uh, women leaders in code enforcement. You know, I do uh, the code enforcement educators where I provide free information on code enforcement. You know, so there's, you know, we put our forces together to create this standards and codes Academy. You know, we're our own individuals. We don't uh, answer to anybody but ourselves. But when we come together, we have, um, uh, a common a commonality and say hey how do we make our code enforcement profession just that much better and you know when we come together it's 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 like the planeteers you know oh <laughs> so uh, you know to me that that's something special but um you know and and as far as uh you know leadership or management is there anything that you, you know you you want to say to the uh the, the next Marcus or the next uh, Cecilia, the next Pete in the in the code enforcement profession, uh, you know, some, uh, words of wisdom, uh, you might say. 
Yeah, you know, so there, there, there is going to be a need in the next several years for the next wave of leaders to come in. You know, we're doing what we're going to do, and we're setting up platforms for it, for everybody to learn. But eventually, eventually, we're going to have to pass the baton, right? So, so it's time now. If you have uh, the, the the conference in Glendale, the American Association of Code Enforcement, ACES conference, I'm teaching a class, a train to trainer class. For anybody who's who's attending that conference, if you've ever wanted to get up in front of the room and teach a class, and you never really uh, you've never done it or you feel like you need some tips, I'm going to try to share the years of experience that I have to try to make you a better trainer, right? It's a train to trainer classes on Friday, so so look for that. But the, the words of wisdom that I will impart to you is we're going to need you. We're going to need folks who are, who are ready to take, to, 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 to take the helm. We're going to need qualified, experienced people to take the helm. And it's important, it's important that, that you learn the right way to do things because you'll wind up, if you, if you learn the wrong way, right, you'll wind up doing yourself a disservice and your entire community a disservice. The reality is, if what we're trying to accomplish is, is to move the profession forward and, and, and uh, provide a level of service to folks that that they will they will uh, appreciate, right? We all need to be cohesive in this approach. We all need to be cohesive in this approach, and it doesn't really matter whether or not um, one person is, is is more popular. You do your part. You do your part. Pete mentioned I've been training for years. I've prob I'm probably up to about twenty thousand officers, like a real count. I think about twenty thousand officers have come through. Officers, inspectors. Uh, permit clerks, all types of folks have come through some type of training that I've done over the last 10 to 15 years, right? 18 states, I've been all over the place. The idea behind that is, it's not about bragging, it's about being able to say, hey, listen, I've been able to give. I've been able to, to, to work with folks and inspire folks and help folks get to a point to where they are now. So that's our role, that's our job. I know what Standards and Codes Academy, that's what we're trying to do. But myself, definitely, metric one, we, we, the whole idea, it was formed to help be better at what we're doing. So words of wisdom, um, we need you. We need you. So if you've not thought about going into, going into leadership or going into management, hopefully, hopefully this was uh, the inspiration. We need you. So, so let's talk. Connect with us. We are available. If you go to www.standardsandcodesacademy.com, if you go to marcuskellum.com, you can link to us, you can talk to us. We are here, we are accessible, and our, our entire mission is to help you grow and become better at what you do. Excellent, excellent. And yes, absolutely. The mission is to pay it forward, to be able to give and foster those opportunities of growth to our community of code officers nationwide. And, and let me expand that a little bit to the community of our building building industry um, colleagues, right? Our techs, our code techs, our inspectors, our code officers, our fire prevention inspectors, anybody that's wanting to take that role of leadership, um, take that role of being able to also pay it forward, to also educate in the future as we're moving along. Because like Marcus said, there is a great 
need for it. So absolutely. Thank you, Marcus, for that. Thank you. And, you know, Marcus, it's funny because, you know, going back to your story, how you started, some people start code enforcement and then they discover the uh, environmental portion of it. And, you know, and every and, and it's funny because the more we evolve, the more leaders we need. You know, there, there needs to be a leader in the massage enforcement industry and then a leader in the uh, cannabis industry and then a leader in the, you know, in the building um, building industry. And and it's so funny how we're just continually expanding and expanding. You know, we may have a leader in, you know, enforcing, uh, you know, pandemic uh, uh, protocol. And so there's so many opportunities for, for new leaders to emerge. And, you know, and, and plant, like you said, planting those seeds, we need to do it today. We need to do it every day. And, you know, one of the reasons that we're always, the, you know, the most uh, visible people online is because we continue to plant those seeds for somebody that may need that message on that particular day. That's you know, right. somebody tuning in today might have heard that little spark, that little nugget that you just threw at them today that needed to, to put that fire under their tail and say, hey, let's get it going. And, you know, we thank you for that. And, you know, um, like me personally, you've inspired me. You know, I've given you a plenty of phone calls over the years <laughs> and, you know, multiple hours, you know, and then bounce ideas back, uh, back and forth. And it's, you know, you've been instrumental in creating, you know, what it is, uh, Pete Roque and, you know, and all the things that I've done. So I, I appreciate that and I appreciate you and thank you for all that you've done for me and the profession in general. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Oh, and with that, folks, um, I'd like to thank Marcus Kellum for joining us today. It was, it was an honor and a pleasure uh, to have him, you know. And so um, other than that, thank you all. And I will see you next week. We will see you next week. Thank you, CC. Right. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, you too, Marcus. Care. Thank awesome. you, Pete. Bye-bye. Thank you all.